Hello, and welcome to the So Emotional Podcast. Here on the cast, we discuss everything emotions through the lens of attachment, the nervous system, and internal parts work. We're a little irreverent and like to have fun exploring the emotional issues and dynamics that interest us. So come along and hang out. Let's explore the fascinating lands of emotions. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the So Emotional Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Wetzel. I'm a life and relationships coach, and this is also our host, Nick Carl. He's an experienced somatic experiencer, and here on the cast, we like to clear up the stigma and enigma around emotional stuff. And today we have a really cool guest, Kim Massale, um, and she is the founder of Brave Counseling in Denver, Colorado. She's also a coach, which I think is super cool. Um, her coaching company is the Feminine Freedom Coaching, and you can find her on Instagram, both, both practices, at the Feminine Freedom Coach and at Brave Counseling on Instagram. And we'll put those in the links as well. And also a shout out to all of our fans out there that are listening to us and checking in. We know where you live, or at least what countries you're in. So We know what country you're in. We know what country you're in, and we're happy that you've joined us and that you're listening. And um, yeah, we'd love to hear feedback and have you check in. But um, yeah, so today we have an extra special fun podcast for you all. And I don't know if we specifically have like a nailed down topic, but we definitely have questions. Yay. We're going <laughs> to dive Thanks for into. coming on, Kim. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me invite myself <laughs> on to be part okay. of this. <laughs> self advisor right now. Yeah, it's the best way to be invited to the party. Invite yourself. Anyway, a, it works. Seems like I'm glad you party. did. <laughs> I'm glad you did. No, I really, I'm really happy you did. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited. I, I love, already, I feel like it's really fun to just chat with you guys. So. Yay. Yay. Likewise. Cool. So um, we were like, so just as a spoiler, like we always do lead ups to our um, podcast conversations. And usually it's Nick and I like geeking out over emotional stuff and, and topics that we want to talk about. And then uh, Kim reached out and we just started having conversation. And some of the things that felt really juicy to us um, and her included was just um, her own experience being a therapist, being in um, psychotherapy, and then moving away from that into coaching. And so that was one of the topics that we wanted to get started on was just, um, yeah, like a little bit of your journey and how and why you made the move and just some of that. Is that a clear enough question just yeah on. yeah should okay. i go right. should i just talk yeah go oh. yeah go <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um well i moved into coaching on maternity leave <laughs> i was uh um looking to make some changes i don't know you go through big life experiences and i feel like it makes you think about what you're doing with your career mm -hmm. too I don't know if everybody experiences that, but that happened to me. Um, you know, having kids kind of like changes your perspectives on your perspective on a lot of things. And 
yeah, I realized like I wanted to move into a different way of working with my clients. And at the time I, I don't know, I feel like a lot of things that happen in my career are just opportunities that I say yes to, and I don't really know what I'm getting into. And then it just sort of magically comes together and that's what happened. Um, I was seeking out a business coach and somebody recommended me to this woman who was basically like, let me show you how to create a coaching program and use all of your knowledge that you've experienced and kind of up-level the work that you're doing, which that was the goal that I had in mind was to up-level and kind of um, create more space in my schedule, do higher level work, create more income, all of those things. So, you know, scaling my business. And um, so she showed me how to create this program and I loved it. And I've been doing that work ever since. Um, and the transition, I kind of realized all of these aspects of psychotherapy that uh, weren't really aligning for me as well. Mm-hmm. And so I think now I have a pretty clear understanding of what is aligned and what isn't in psychotherapy versus coaching for me. Yeah. Can I ask what got you into psychotherapy in the beginning? Sure. There's several things. I had like a big old breakdown um, in college. Yeah. (laughs) A big one. Um, I had a phobia. I I have a phobia of vomiting um, Mm. and it had been affecting me my entire childhood and nobody really did anything about it. So Mm. I was in complete denial of it and went away to college. It's my first time really away from home. And the stomach flu went around and I just lost my shit. I basically hold myself up in my dorm room and was like, don't get sick, don't get sick, don't get sick. And then I made myself sick because I was (laughs) so afraid of getting sick. Um, then proceeded to have, so was like, it, go ahead. I asked, uh, yeah, yeah. was it, it was like fear of you vomiting or was it fear of other people? Was yes. It so both? it's, it's my understanding is it's like the third most common phobia, but people don't talk about it. Cause it's very like shameful. I didn't know, I didn't know yeah, that. Nobody talks about it, but if you ask people like your friends, a lot of them will be like, Oh, I have that. Um, if when I say it to people, a lot of people will be like, oh yeah, I have that too. And <laughs> it's just, it's not something you talk about because it's such, it feels like such a weird thing to be afraid of because it's a normal part of, right. you know, human bodily functions. People have all kinds of fears, yeah. phobias around bodily functions, but. Yeah. That's really interesting though. Just, uh, I remember like I used to get, when I would get sick and like uh, the South, there's like more stomach things that go around or it seemed like that way. <laughs> but, um, so I would like get it and I would be throwing up and it was really hard for me to stop throwing up. And my mom would have to be like, all right, you just gotta like, at some point, Jesus try to that. stop yourself from doing it. Cause it would get really bad, but I don't know why I thought of that, but it's just, it's really interesting that yeah, I don't yeah. Know. I, but it makes sense to me though. It makes sense because I would sort of get afraid of getting there because then I'd be like, oh my God, am I going to be able to stop yeah, able to once stop. I get started, right? Yeah. Yeah, a little, little yeah. different, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. 
Yeah, so it, keep going. No, it's me. I, I'm afraid, ultimately, I'm afraid of myself throwing up, but it is, it generalizes to like anything vomit related. So my kids throwing up, people around me getting sick, like the smell, the sound, it just, it just generalizes. So the time I was like, I was avoiding a lot of triggers anyhow. So went to therapy for like a year before I came out of denial and realized what was wrong, which is really wild to me that I could be. So I was like blaming my parents and blaming X, Y, Z at the time. I didn't know what was wrong with me, which is, it's so, I just, I still can't fathom how that's possible, but it was. So that happened. And then I was, I went back to school. I went from engineering to art. And then in my trajectory, I was like, well, I don't want to actually do art as a career. I don't want to make things for the sake of consumerism, like for other people's pleasure. I want art to be about self-expression. And there's just too much pressure to create something that's acceptable to other people. So I went into art therapy and um, didn't, I just was looking for something that made sense to me with my art degree. <laughs> so it was again, like just a sort of op opportunistic thing. It's like, I can't just be an artist. I'm not gonna do well with that because I'm not motivated. And I was like, okay, I can, I'm really good at people. So I'll just do that. And it turns out I did really like it and <laughs> I was pretty decent at it. Um, and yeah. I think that that really big experience when I was like a late teen with the phobia made me realize how important personal development work was. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's cool. And how many, so that that's like the start and you're in college then. And then how many years later is it when you're having kids and you're having like your next like realization <laughs> point? That's a good question. So I, art therapy was grad school and then I got married and divorced. So I had a big, another big, like, you know, Growth dark element. night of the <laughs> dark night of the soul. Um, yeah. And then that's when I really started getting into somatic psychotherapy and the connection to spirituality in personal development. And then, yeah, it was probably about 10 years between when I finished grad school and switched into coaching mm -hmm. somewhere around there. Cool. I like that story. Did, did it also trigger you? Like, did you have morning sickness when you had kids? Did oh that my God. I was so anxious about it. I don't throw up. Like that's part of why I have the phobia because I don't really know what it feels like. I think if I experienced it more, it wouldn't be so scary maybe, but I do know people that do throw up often and still have the focus. Yeah. So have you thought about immersion therapy by exposing yourself? To like <laughs> yes. I've done so, so much work on it. You're triggering me just talking about it. <laughs> I feel like it's manageable in my life at this yeah. point, but, um, you right. know, <laughs> You're good. I like we we can definitely like not talk about it for sure. no it's it's important to talk about it because if I if I got on here and I was like I can't talk about my most vulnerable thing I think that would be kind of messed up hmm. I don't know hmm. 
it might be just be a boundary that could be okay if you didn't <laughs> want to share your deepest, darkest, most shameful thing with the world. That might I feel okay. comfortable with it. I think like when you're first working on something, it's sometimes too vulnerable. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I think of it as like healthy vulnerability versus like not so healthy vulnerability. Like when you're not comfortable with something, it's probably not appropriate yeah. to talk about you it. You make but... yourself do it or it's like, yeah, forcing yourself to be in a space where you're like, you're okay with it when you're really not. Yeah. It's like self-betrayal kind of. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah, little I mean, bit. I feel like I used to do that, especially in grad school, as a form of um, seeking validation. Like in grad school, you're encouraged to talk about your deepest, darkest stuff because for it to become a therapist because that's what mm. you're training to do. And they don't really always talk about what your boundary should be about sharing vulnerably because it's a lot of experiential mm. work where you're like, supposed to practice being as vulnerable as possible so you can experience what it's like to be in the client position. Hmm. Um, so definitely have gone through some growth processes around understanding like when I'm doing it to seek validation and when I'm doing it because I'm comfortable and I feel like it's helpful for other people to right. hear. I think about the energy of creativity versus other energies, right? Because I used to do it all the time too as like, I don't know, it's almost like self-gossip or something, you know, that I would yeah, give up all the juicy stuff so that we could have something fun to talk about, you know, mm-hmm. where really it's not, it's not, it's not good for me, you know? Yeah. No, there should be a boundary because it's right. like, you know, you get validation, you get like uh, praise in grad school or in those experiential types of uh, environments for sharing your most vulnerable things. And unless the facilitator is talking about what, like what the boundaries should be, you don't know that there should be a boundary necessarily. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. I like that. That's a cool history. Um, and then, well, I am a little bit curious, like what kind of coaching you offer or like, Usually I, I find around coaching, it's like we end up offering pretty much like what the younger version of ourselves like could have used, right? And I, I'm curious about um, what you offer now specifically and, and why. Yeah, I've gone through a lot of iterations of who my ideal client is over the years based on, mm-hmm. it's like my ideal client is somebody that's like maybe a year to a few years behind me and once I move forward, I like lose the connection to the previous ideal client <laughs> that I've had. So yeah, I've like put together courses for a previous ideal client that I don't even use anymore because I don't feel energetically connected to that work. Um, so after my divorce, I did a lot of like help helping women um, heal from divorce and figure out dating because it's hard Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and then now I work mainly with women that own businesses and are looking to expand their businesses into something that's out of the box and produces a lot of freedom for them um tapping into feminine divinity so like flow and creativity and following your energy and your intuition as opposed to how 
we're taught to do business a lot in this culture, right? You know, masculine, analytical, masculine, tracking, plan. planning, yeah, strategizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's I like what it. I'm doing now. Cool. Um, something that we were talking about before was just, well, and it's interesting because you kind of just set us up for this next question was um, energetically, like how people find themselves like getting into therapy or getting into coaching and like, and not to say that those people are necessarily like totally different, but there is, there are differences in what's offered in therapy versus coaching. And like, even the paradigm, like the worlds that those exist in. And I find that they're very complementary, but I also find that there's just a different place that people are in when they're, when they're getting into therapy. And there's also a place that people need to be if they're getting into coaching. And so um, just from your experience, cause you have your counseling center and then you also yeah. um, have your coaching, like, you know, Let's talk about that and what it looks yeah. like, what you've seen. <coughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So that was part of the transition for me from psychotherapy to coaching is wanting to work with clients that were like ready to do the work and um, self-motivated, taking accountability for their own stuff. So there wasn't a ton of projection landing on me. Mm-hmm. So I was starting to get burnt out from the amount of projection that I had been holding for you know 13 years um so that was huge for me being able to walk into well not walk virtually walk into a space and be able to say here's your stuff like this is what's going on here are the tools to do something about it we can do some embodiment processing but also you have to do it outside of our time together and you also need to like do some homework and read and learn you can't do that in psychotherapy ethically. A lot of those things are not allowed. Hmm. Which part? I don't know if I knew that. <laughs> a lot of them. <laughs> so, I mean, you can give homework, you can give assignments, but you can't require them. Like you can't require people to hmm. do anything. Um, and really the, the major difference is that with psychotherapy ethically, you're really supposed to be leading somebody to come to their own insights as opposed to sharing insights directly to them. If you know mm-hmm. something is going on with them, the, the, the goal in psychotherapy is to help people come to their own awareness. Right. So that's, it's kind of interesting. Well, Nick, you have something and then I'll, well, I just, I all I want to say is about, about that, uh, there's a book that I read a few months ago. It was called Good Morning Monster by a therapist. I forget who wrote it, but she had been doing it 35 years or whatever. She could chop suey and tell pretty much something, you know, what is what is going wrong in somebody's life pretty quickly. That's not that hard, you know, but it, there's not a lot of function in, you know, you just telling the person that doesn't change how their insides work, you know. And so you and your helping role is sort of like to be a reflector and to like deal with all the projection that comes up, yes. not not turn it back around and project it back out. Right. You know, right. Uh, you know deal with all the transference stuff, you know, and like, you know, do yes. all that internal work and then be as supportive and uplifting and like, you know, right, which can be, I think about um, like uh, 
Dr. David Hawkins or whatever, just like energetic ladders, right? And so I imagine that people who are in therapy who are stuck in projective places, you know, are kind of lower on the ladder. And so, I don't know, I sort of was like imagining the split between therapy and then people who are, who are ready to handle their own projections and then can use their energy and go, at, you know, sky high or whatever, whatever their capacities and potentials are, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, totally. It has a lot to do with where people are developmentally in their process, I believe. I mean, right. to yeah. each their own, but like the, a coaching client is somebody that I can say, well, they come to me and they say, please tell me what's, what's going on. Like, what, how am mm-hmm. I getting in my own way? Whereas a psychotherapy client will come in and they haven't built enough internal trust and safety in themselves usually to be able to hear it without getting defensive or being in denial. Um, That's the first stage of psychotherapy is just simply building internal trust with yourself. And that has to come through relationship first. So to build a trusting relationship with the other person so you can internalize that trusting relationship inside of yourself and that can take a really long time right right like yeah. many 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 years depending right. on how much trauma unresolved trauma you have in your system mm-hmm. so that timeline for me it's it can be excruciating i'm a very like i i move quickly and so if the client isn't moving quick quickly sometimes i get impatient and that's purely based on where I am in my development too. If somebody's Mm -hmm. too far behind me, I'm not going to be a good fit for that person because I'm like, all right, like, come on, catch up. (laughs) And I'm going to be shitty. Like I'm not going to be compassionate with that person. So I think there can't be too much of a gap between where you are developmentally and where your client is in order for you to be passionate and excited to work with them. And it's not about, somebody's worth it's just about development and how much trauma you've experienced and how much you have to resolve which sucks because sometimes you know people get the short end of the stick and they just have a difficult childhood and end up having to process so much more than other people do well i think it's also part of honoring like your desire as an individual right because i can imagine that in the you know bouquet pantheon of therapists there's probably somewhere being in that place maybe in their own personal development but they don't have any kind of qualms about (laughs) meeting somebody exactly where they are and 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 just being in that yeah whatever space is you know for sure right but i think that i do think i do think that the projection exhausts you and if you're not in touch with that exhaustion to me that means you're dissociated from your body Hmm. so i think i don't think that people can hold space for that long as a psychotherapist without getting burnt out i just don't i think personally my belief is that if you're not expanding then you're just likely probably disconnecting from your body i mean Hmm. i don't know i mean maybe some people like i think of it as like you know, my math skills plateaued at the end of high school. Like that's where I stopped expanding. Um, but in this particular realm, I don't feel like I've hit a plateau. I feel like I just keep climbing and I don't know, maybe for some people, they kind of like hit a point and they're like, okay, I'm happier. This is like where my development is just kind of, kind of coast. 
Mm-hmm. Um, which I hate to say out loud. I don't want anybody to feel like judgment about that, but that's, you know. I, I view it kind of like, I think maybe there are some people that that is their calling and it may not be like a plateau for them, but it may just be where they naturally feel like they thrive and like whatever they have to do to get support around like releasing some of that projection stuff. Cause like, I know what you're talking about, like um, with clients, cause well, and it's very rare that I'll get that in a coaching client. But if in the event that I do start to get projection stuff, I will have to refer them back into therapy Yeah, because it's like, I can't, I cannot work with them if they're in a place where they're blaming me for their emotions. And then they're saying, you made me do this. And you made me feel this way when everything that we work on is an invitation into and that it is right, like client led. Right, right. But um yeah, so I can't I mean like that's the reason why I'm a coach and I I never went into therapy. I mean there were many many reasons why I decided not to become a therapist, but one of those things was like I kind of had a sense of like who I wanted to work with and like and coaching to me just felt like a much more natural fit mm-hmm. around like um a focus on like thriving and the kind of energy you want to create versus like this kind of diagnosis type model where it's like you're well and then this is like a whole thing but and I think there's different types of therapy too so I don't know that we can definitively say that they're all just based on how uh, on like disorder or saying something's wrong with you and it isn't working but in my experience, um, (laughs) like I'm like, I became a trauma informed relationship coach. And like, I, I love, um, Dr. Gabor Mate's perspective and Dr. Peter Levine. And, um, I mean, Dr. Richard Schwartz, like all these people that are stating that nothing's wrong with you, that it's your human vehicle adapting to whatever has happened and that you're, you may be out of context here in this situation, but you're, you're actually reacting just as you should, Mm -hmm. like, like you're fine and it's learning. Okay. Maybe I didn't like how I responded or reacted in that situation, but there was a good reason. So it's like, not villainizing or vilifying ourselves and not shaming right. ourselves for being right. where we're at. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I, I think that the world of psychology is still a very, very much a work in progress and it's hard to, it's like trying to change bureaucracy, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's really difficult. I think yeah. to, to like yeah. take the dinosaur out of psychology and, um, I found it still to be quite pathologizing, even in some of the more advanced trainings that I was doing, I still felt like, okay, but we're still not talking about shame. Like we're not Mm. addressing shame. And I, thankfully, one of my mentors when I started in the field was a Brene Brown consultant. So I learned pretty early on in, in my training about what shame meant. And I still feel like, I walk around in the field and a lot of people, a lot of psychotherapists just don't understand it. It's still new. It's still new. So I, I don't know. I, I think that for me too, I don't want to work in that type of setting where I'm ho- I feel like I'm holding people back in the way that I'm working. There are certain aspects of psychotherapy that I just feel like 
people aren't totally awake to because it's just the, the norm. It's what they've been taught to do. And if they're not, I don't know why, maybe like, I just feel like I've done so much internal work seeking a sense of truth and direction in myself that I know I want to be working with people in a strength-based way and helping them see things that they don't see dismantling shame as much as possible, you know, really helping them excel instead of some of the more, I don't know, aspects of psychotherapy that I feel like hold people back. Like having a client for three years, five years, um, and not actively working on goals, you know, you're supposed to do treatment planning, which in itself is a very pathologizing term, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but when you have 20 clients, 15 clients a week, nobody wants to treatment plan because you're exhausted from a, the projection and B like all the hours that you're doing. It's just, it's, and insurance doesn't pay. There's just so many things that are a struggle in the field. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. And, um, it's, it's interesting because I've, it's been interesting, like being on the coaching side and having clients come to me and say, I've done therapy for this many years. And I feel like it hasn't helped me like get where I want to get. And then they're like, how are you different? How are you going to help? And they're already like losing hope. But what I want to tell them is like, the time you spent in therapy or the time you spent in these different modalities isn't wasted time. Mm-hmm. Cause I truly believe it does build. It's just that they are different modalities. And in coaching, like I am like, I am a mentor and a coach. I will tell them what I see and what's going on with them. And I let them try it on and see if it fits. And I will like point them into their blind spots and show them like, and I'm there to give them answers and what I like to do is watch them just like they pop like popcorn because it's like they've had the foundation. What they hadn't realized yet is that they were just kind of looking at the problem consistently without looking to what they were wanting to create. And that shift in of itself, I think is like, is such a huge difference because we're talking about rewiring the nervous system completely from you know, being problem focused or continuing to look at like these issues when it's like, yes, there's definitely a time and place to like hear, hear out those things. And when they're still like crying these parts inside, like there's a reason why they're there. There's something that hasn't felt fully heard or understood yet or touched in a way. Right. So that's important, but it's also important to like hold the hand of those parts and, and, and invite them to, to move to higher ground. Yeah. Right. To help them heal for sure. Yeah. To help them heal and like actually evolve and transform. And something that would like kind of freak me out as well is um, I would meet therapists and have conversations with them about trauma or shame or codependence and attachment. And they wouldn't know about any of these things. Yeah. And I was like, well, like, and then in my mind, I'm like, what are you doing then? Like, what are you doing? But that's just, you know, <laughs> Yeah. however, but I don't want to like, no, I don't want to nullify like what a therapist does. Cause I've had some great therapists, yeah. like really, that really, they saw me and they really helped me like 
like move through some stuff. And I, I wouldn't have been able to move into coaching if I hadn't had the support. Like I've done couples therapy and groups, group therapy and individual therapy. Like I've done a decent amount of therapy myself and I'm grateful for the good therapists that are able to like hold the space, um, and hold the projections and things. But, um, and I, this is something we're talking about is like practitioners, like we're human and we can only hold, uh, we can only like help people as far as we've helped ourselves to some degree. So there's still the element of, um, and you might have seen this or heard or noticed this, but when people have certain like trauma and they have um, ways of relating, they may pick a certain therapist that they're still doing the dance with. They're both doing the dance, the unconscious mm-hmm. dance of codependence or whatever. And it's like there are unconscious agreements at play. And so it's like, it can be hard to exclude yourself from that um, or extract yourself, I guess, from those like unconscious things. And I like, I wish there was a way to, oh, and that's what we were going to talk about too, is like at the end, like picking a person who's um, right for you to work with, like how to pick a good therapist or coach and and that kind of thing is something we want to talk about, but um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that (laughs) a lot, there's a lot I want to say about what you just said. Well, for one, I do feel like the process of trusting yourself is you can't go into any more highly developed ways of of transforming, of doing this work, personal work, until you've built internal trust. And so you do need to do therapy to get mm-hmm. through that stage. And I there's I've worked with incredible therapists myself that um have shown me how to trust myself in a deeper and deeper and deeper way. Like I I was in therapy probably two years ago for like a year or so with an amazing therapist and I was working on self-confidence. I mean, it's a process, you know, you keep digging deeper to the next level, the next level. So I don't, I think that it's really important in its own way as is coaching and different people like that clinician, she's been in the field for probably, I don't know, 25, 30 years. She's incredible and she continues to build that skill set. So, but the way she works, works for her. Like I couldn't do that anymore. I just, that's not my jam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm more, definitely more comfortable in the, um, here's your stuff. Here's what you do about it. Let's do it. Space. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It, oh gosh, you're, it, it's so interesting. Um, so something when I started, um, like getting more clients coaching, cause I coach attachment, I was watching my own nervous system want to keep certain clients away that I felt were too anxious mm-hmm. and like, um, yeah. So I was like watching my own attachment as I was, and I've been healing my own attachment through, my business and my coaching container while keeping like being very aware of what was going on within me and then doing my own work with my own coaches um, to be able to expand my own container um, to be able to offer secure attachment to my clients. 
And part of that is to, um, I, I offer Voxer support. So I allow my clients to reach out to me 24 seven and leave voice memos and things like that. And I know there's some people that would be like, hell no, I wouldn't work like that. But I realized there were certain reasons why I wanted to offer that and do that. And it doesn't mean like I don't sleep or whatever, like I get to the messages like when I can, but it's like a way of providing a, a place for my clients to come to in between sessions so that they can reach out and have someone reach back, especially when they're yeah. experiencing triggers or they're, they're in it. A moment when they're very in it and yeah. they're not able to see any other perspective. It's like having someone else be able to reach back in those moments because a lot of the trauma that they've been through is being alone and isolated in some of those worst moments. Yeah. So um, part of that was me growing through it being okay for people to rely on me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Something I kind of want to be like, you stay over there. over there that's so funny I have absolutely on the opposite end of the spectrum so (laughs) I've had to like hold boundaries around not being too uh, not being too connected with clients like Mm. holding boundaries around I'm only going to respond to you from x hour to x hour and you can pay for a package where you have contact with me all the time versus you know a, you know, a different one where you, you don't. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. That's funny. Yeah. You and I are a little different that way, but that's cool. <laughs> it's like, right. It's like everyone has their own process of it. And it's so, so it was so interesting when I, um, started accepting more anxious clients, I was like, Oh, cause usually my jam is like the fearful avoidance. Cause that's, that was what I had, I had been healing yeah. through and, you know, um, and so like, I love my disorganized types cause they're pretty independent in a lot of ways, <laughs> but then when they have their anxious thing, like it's not too much. Right. That's but so some funny. of like the purely anxious people, I'm like, mm, cause if someone like has zero self-soothing capabilities and they might not be a great fit for coaching. Don't right. Me. So it's like kind of trying to discern like what that sweet spot is where it's like a win-win as opposed to me like over right. or me just trying to like push people away because it's too uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I was the same. I mean, early on in my career, I would make all kinds of judgments about people that had avoidant tendencies because I mm. hadn't figured all that stuff out yet. Mm. Uh, so I, it took yeah. me a while to um, naturally attract clients that have more of an avoidant tendency and that's how I knew I was healing that internally because they were interested in working with me at that point. So, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Cause then they're not worried about you sticking your feelers into them or latching onto them. Yeah. Or judging real, it's them. like a real fear judging them. Yeah. Like that enmeshment thing, like all that stuff's real. Like it's intense. Mm-hmm. Really. <laughs> Nick, I know you've got thoughts. I see it all over your face. <laughs> I was thinking more about, you'd mentioned, you know, the therapeutic work of making internal trust first, you know? Okay, so let's say you have some uh, modicum of internal trust, and now you're out sort of like looking for a coach. It feels, you know, and I know that like when I started like trying to pick coaches, it was just 
essentially just going with vibe, you know, <laughs> and uh, yeah. you know, at the time, you know, like uh, uh, how I met Angela, you know, she was talking like in the attachment language that I had uh, like educated myself into, you know, so I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this person knows this. Um, are there any kind of like, uh, I don't know, is there anything that comes to mind when you think about people selecting coaches or or the types of like discernment to bring to bear to like make sure that you know good creative vibes and trust can can flow between people i mean it for me it's always energetic um and i do think it is the coach's uh, responsibility to some degree to help people discern whether they're a good fit for the client too Mm -hmm. But it's to to me, it's an energetic. Like, if you feel like you're vibing, a you're compatible with that person. But also, I do think it's smart to spend some time actually in session with clinicians or coaches to know what you're, what that person's really offering. I don't think you can really know super well in the first meeting. Um, you know, when I'm training people on the first, like the consult call, when I'm training clinicians on consult calls, I talk with them a lot about being able to show that person that they can hold vulnerable space, contain space for them. So I feel like when I'm seeking somebody out, um, I'm looking to feel like that person can hold like the deepest, darkest stuff that I'm consciously aware of inside of me. And also I seek out somebody that is living the life that I want to be living. Hmm. So at this point, sometimes it's hard for me to search for people, but I'll, I'll like ask people that I know, I'll say, I'm looking for somebody that can help me with X, Y, Z. Um, uh, other therapists or coaches that I've worked with before, I'll reach out to them. Um, and yeah, if they, if they're kind of living, embodying the life that I'm looking to land in, right? that's how I kind of know that they're a good fit for me. Yeah. No, I like that. It's like the energetic thing, which is, I think has a ton of information in it all the time, right? If we decide to like pay attention to it, you know, <laughs> it's like, well, how did your body respond? How did it make you feel? Like what kind of like uh, inspiration mm. did you did you find in that space, you know? Uh, yeah, I think that, that that's fantastic, yeah. I think if a person's really honoring how they feel and they're able to like discern the difference between some of their own stuff and then like what's happening. But I think generally, if you're like having a consult with a practitioner, you shouldn't be getting like wildly triggered by that interaction. <laughs> Hopefully not, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like that would be probably weird, but... Um, it's interesting. I was speaking to someone today that was a consult and she had mentioned being in a program, a coaching program, and she feels consistently triggered all the time. Mm -hmm. And so she was talking about like leaving that coaching container. And I was very supportive of her just listening to herself because, you know, generally when, um, Again, like I said before, if those feelings are familiar in relationship, we'll end up replicating them, not just in romantic relationships, but in in our careers, in 
our practitioner, like you will repeat them everywhere. And so it's like learning how to honor and really paying, pay attention to what's going on with you and not tolerating um, some of that dysfunction, but people aren't always able to like discern what's dysfunctional or disempowered energy. And they think like, oh, I should just hang out in this. And it's like, you know, that to me, um, I don't know. I sometimes think that uh, a lot of well-meaning therapists and coaches still don't understand the difference between um, empowered and disempowered energy because I don't know if it's something that's like spoken about that much. I guess it's not, but it's, um, to me, it's become more and more obvious about like what's helping uh, me relax or have a regulated nervous system. And like, I try to teach all of my clients and sometimes on consults, like I try to stay away from like mentoring on consults. Like yeah. I'll do coaching towards the end. Um, but to educate people on the difference between like the push and pull like if you're feeling someone like push on you and push up past your boundaries in a way that feels very uncomfortable it's like paying attention to that and if someone is pulling on your energy like they're drowning and they need you it's like anytime you're feeling anything other than like a healthy interdependence which is like you know, maybe a little bit of leaning here and there, like that's okay, as long as you're both open to it. It's like consensual exchange of energy. But anytime you feel that someone is trying to like manipulate you or control you to either save them or have you do something that makes them feel better in some way, then it's like, you have to suspect that there's disempowered energy there. But um, I think it's really just not common knowledge no, well, I think it's really hard to discern too. Like that's why you're going to a clinician to like heal those patterns. Yeah, right, right. So, yeah. and it's really easy to get hooked into that within a therapeutic or healing relationship, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. Ideally, like you, as you move forward with your healing experiences even if that other person that you're working with still has some of that stuff going on, it's more, it's more developed. It's more mature than the previous person that you've worked with. Like my belief is that as you grow, you are attracted to the same pattern in people, but it's less significant. Yes. So uh, hopefully you master your work through that healer right. eventually yeah. move on, you know? Like some people are like, oh, I'm not getting anything from this person's because you've kind of mastered subconsciously the dynamic in the relationship and you're done with it. You're ready for like the next person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or you finally listen to yourself to say, ooh, like I'm clear. I don't want whatever this dynamic is. Yeah. I'm going to draw that boundary and exclude myself from mm -hmm. it. And like fully mm -hmm. like taking, taking responsibility for you know, your own stuff, like what's going on here, but also saying, do I have to participate in this energy anymore? Like, no, I actually don't. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm an adult. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. And I think like, it's important the difference between how those two things feel in your body. That's something that I love to talk about with people, the difference between, um, the hook of like healing a pattern versus following your most expansive route. Like mm. there's a big difference in the energetic yes. 
like there's an urgency and like a um grasping a lot of times when you're like a feeling of being hooked like addicted yeah. to somebody when you there's that well yes a reenactment. it's like an energetic hook being pulled i can't help myself yeah yeah and so when you feel that level of like connection to somebody that type of connection it's usually because you're in this reenactment where you're trying to master and heal from an early on dynamic that you experience yeah and what are some of the qualities of the creative energy you think the more expansive energy yeah it's I mean, it still can feel challenging, right? Like, because if you're following intuition and expansion, it might feel scary mm -hmm. because you're mm -hmm. leaning into something new. It might right. feel like you're a little groundless even because you don't have this coping mechanism to lean on that you've used for a sense of safety or validation before. Mm -hmm. um, but it usually feels more aligned. So it's kind of like that, oh, I know I have to do this feeling as opposed to like, yes, this is right. Like when you feel that, like, yes, this is right. It's usually, it's usually not good. <laughs> like you're usually doing the thing. Um, right. In, yeah. in my experience. It, right. Cause there's like, there's a full fuck. Yes. Right. That, um, Azra and Benjamin Becker talk about, and they're just, they're like coaches and stuff, but, um, I think sometimes the full fact yes isn't without the oh shit like right yeah it's like yes and I know it's gonna cost me something meaning it's like my hard. limitations and I've noticed when I'm leveling up I will feel a little crazy like I'll be like am I crazy because like this is like like all my shit will be here and I'm like fully like in the illusion and then I find myself holding space for all of that and like being very calm, but also still aware of this entire narrative. And then I'm like looking at it from two different places and I'll be like, I feel a little crazy pants right now, but it's like, <laughs> not like a bad. It's like, that groundless feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It because is. You it's lose like, your sense of like, it's you, you think of these patterns as your identity without really realizing it and when you're letting go you feel like you're letting go of your like a piece of your identity you're not yeah, letting go of a defense mechanism but right and it's like these parts of my identity have certain beliefs like that at the end of this month i will be like there's nothing that will come at the end of this month like i will be dead at the end of this month <laughs> right. like it just has no imagination <laughs> past or this like circumstance it's like so there's funny. nothing beyond this circumstance it's such a weird feeling when you make it past whatever you thought your doomsday thing was <laughs> then you're like oh my god i'm still alive like what <laughs> what do you know and it's like these parts are like oh i really thought that was the end and it's like nope so it's you know it's kind of that but you're right <clears throat> anytime it's like uh oh yeah oh yeah like this like i don't know how to explain it because it is a little bit different it's hard to explain uh, yeah because <laughs> it's, different um, because when you said hook, it reminded me, um, so like, you know, my realm is relationships and I had been in this marriage that was like very codependent and that had ended. And when I started dating on the other side of that, like a few years later, I was um, dating somebody and it was like, there were similar things that were coming up 
where I was like, oh, martyr, like mom is a martyr and this is happening. And the son's like taking care of the family and it's this whole financial, like kind of codependent situation. And I felt like a big, huge, you know, those like big uh, ship like hooks you see, like with like nautical hooks, they're like big rusty hooks. They're the huge. Anchors? Kind of, it's kind of like an anchor. It's not the same thing as an anchor. It's like an actual, just like hook, but it's, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Maybe okay. I'm wrong. Maybe it's no, not nautical. I'm, I'm on board. It's, it's a hook. Right. A big so nautical hook. This, <laughs> so it just feels like this giant hook, like through my solar plexus, like pulling me towards, like, I, like, it does feel like an addiction. Like I felt yeah. this part of me was like, I need him. Like I need, <laughs> like, I need this. But my brain was like, oh, no, you don't. Like, oh. at least my brain was aware of the pattern. So I was able to go, nope, no, you don't. And I, like, cut it off. But it was so hard because this part was like, no, that's where we go. Like, that's the thing. That's how you so, fix this. Yeah. yeah so um, and it ended up being really good that I said no and cut all <laughs> that awesome. off. But it, it felt very compelling. It was very juicy. Um yeah. And I was like, Oh, this is mad dysfunctional. Uh-huh. So I guess that's <laughs> how I would explain it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, sometimes people, I think that sometimes when people think there's sparks and, um, hmm. chemistry that it's actually like your, your system is trying to heal some old wounds, like that level of intensity of, of sparks. I feel like you need some chemistry, some spark to keep a relationship alive. Or else it's kind of like too, I don't know, personally, I feel like it would be too boring to not have some, but, um, a lot I find with clients that it's usually because they're getting sucked in to a reenactment. Pure projective mommy and daddy stuff. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Yeah. What a bummer. Oh, yeah, well, it is. It is. It's a mastery well, healing process. It's, yeah, well, it's good it too. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, well, just because the, the spark shit is so ubiquitous in our culture, right? I know. That just like that's what you need. That's what it's supposed to be. And if it's not that, then I, well, it's obviously wrong. You know. And it's like, ugh, damn. Yeah. Well, like, I don't think you, like I said, I don't think you can avoid it. Like I tried to date people where there was no spark and I was like, eh. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think you need a little bit, but that usually. Yeah. Means you got to like put your hand on the stove enough to where, you know, it's not, yeah, it's burning <laughs> you. Like you got to do it enough where you're like, yeah, this isn't a good thing. Like it, it's warm, but it's burning my flesh. Um, I'm going to not do that. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Um, one of the other things that we were going to talk about was um, we had in our notes the war of the knowers versus helpers. I don't know what you meant by that, Nick. Uh, but... I was talking about some of the, there is a little dissonance in, uh, I don't know. It's sort of like how people, people talk about doctors versus chiropractors or something, you know? Oh, it's yeah, coaches yeah, yeah. versus therapists, you know, there's like this, oh, yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. just like the knowers yeah. versus sort of the helpers, you know, like, because if you're not accredited, well, then you're not anything, you know, 
but but right. I think that that perspective is pretty energetically like pretty low. It's it's based in like tons of projections and shame and all that kind of stuff, which is yeah. like a, I think it is a little bit of a lower vibe, right? Um, yeah. But that it, it that it's out there, and I don't know, I don't know if it feels very important. I don't know. What do you think? Feels important to me. Right. I, think it's, well, I, think, I think it's important because I feel like coaches have such a bad rap and and so like I even I think so like when yeah. I was deciding to go into coaching from psychotherapy I had to like work through all of my resistance to oh, the idea of becoming a coach yeah yeah because yeah. It, it just yeah I mean I, I thought of coaches as like um Fly by night, artists. Yeah, it I'm like, can I can't even remember. Here. I feel like it's hard for me to connect to that. Well, I, I, I see, now. I see uh, examples of people who are just buttressed by, because I, I think that's hard to do when you become part of a like a of a culture. That's a Five dollar like word. Buttressed. <laughs> buttressed. I love it. That was like such a great <laughs> word. A good one. And buttressed and bullied by a culture by a culture that you get into, and this this is like an academic culture, like an accreditation culture. You know, it's just like, oh, you know, mm. I got the thing right, and all these people agreed because I got the thing means I'm it, mm -hmm. right? Where that's unfortunately like so. One of the other things we talked about is well, we already talked about it, is like healing to the extent that you have worked on your stuff, which is not a prerequisite for therapists, you know? <laughs> and no. so, and can be depending, depending on the situation, depending on the therapist and this, but this goes for coaches too, can be detrimental, right? Yeah. But the, that there isn't an automatic like stamp steal approval just because I, you know, I got the letters. So that means you're anything, not necessarily, you know, I mean, there, I, I think it, it, it counts for something, but, but for what, but what is it? I think it's yeah. help, it's helpful for people to have the training if they feel like it's helpful. I actually was talking to um, a client earlier today about whether she should go and get an accreditation to become a coach or not. And mm -hmm. I, I feel like it has to be really based on whether you feel like you need the education to provide what you want to provide or not. And I'm really grateful that coaching doesn't have all the regulations that psychotherapy has because I've, mm -hmm. I felt very boxed in. Um, I understand what, why the regulations are there. They want everybody to be of a certain quality. They're not like messing with people's mental health, you know, right. but like, graduate school only takes you so far. I mean, really graduate school is just two years of learning how to attune to other people's state and, and helping them gain insight. That's as far as it goes. They never teach you about transformation in most graduate programs, like not just having insight, but actually shifting to a new way of being. Mm -hmm. It doesn't get that far. So I don't know, like <laughs> the regulations make sense to some degree, mm -hmm. but then also it boxes people in and keeps them unable to expand the way that they work potentially into something really incredible. That's what I ran into. So I think if you have life experience, that's so much more valuable. You have personal development experience. It's to, I believe that's so much more valuable than 
any education. I've worked with some incredible coaches myself that are not um, traditionally educated in the psych world or have coaching certifications or any of it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's interesting. Like having been to IPEC, which is the Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching, so I did decide to get certified. But I also had the GI Bill and it was paid for. So it was like a no brainer. Like I had another year left after I got my BFA in theater. And so I was like, I'm just going to do it. And I got in the program. I was so glad I did. I was so, because it taught me so many things. Like, like looking back and thinking about not having that, it like freaks me out a little bit to be like, <laughs> oh my God, like if I didn't have that, like what would I be doing? But also um, I do like continuing education credits with like NICABM, like what is that acronym? National Institute for Cognitive Behavioral Medicine, something like that. Um, And they're like incredible, you know, like I cross train with therapists all the time because there's so many, like I love cutting edge like neuroscience, but I also like cutting edge like coaching thing. And I'm a huge fan of like Mastin Kip and his like functional coaching. And I just think it's so cool, like the melding of like some of these modalities. But two, it's like people develop these institutions and these certifications and accreditations. So it's like, if people are creating these and like people are also trailblazing and having their own life experience and having gone through something yourself like there's no course that anyone can teach that can can like truly give that same experience. So if you find someone who's like in coaching or they're or um, as a coach or a therapist that feels like they're just in it, like for the money or something like that, it's like that doesn't even like work or compute like at all because you're just it's like what are you bringing to what are you bringing to it? And I think in some ways the the lack of um, I don't know what what we call it. Like it's, it is a decently unregulated field coaching, which is, is nice in a lot of ways, but it also doesn't exclude people from just saying like, I'm a coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And, um, and, and there are some people that are very slick and sassy entrepreneurs, but they have no practitioner substance. So they're great at selling, but then, they're not really offering much, or maybe they're actually doing more harm than good because they haven't really worked on any of their stuff and they're walking around, you know, but of course, like people will find themselves in these relationships that are complementary wounded relationships and they'll figure it out. Like it will be okay. Like they'll learn the lessons, but to be able to like help people kind of navigate around that as best they can is Sure, something I'd like to help people do, but we can't mm-hmm. protect all the little bunnies from, from finding their way into the briar patch. <laughs> oh, and the other thing I was going to say, actually, the reason why we wrote that down was because I've um, on Instagram, I've been on pages where there's like therapists and they're just like having a hate fest on like coaches. Like they'll have like, things that uh, annoy you about coaches like bingo and they'll be like, Oh, I hate that. And I hate that. And I'm just like, what coaches like specifically are you hating on so much? Number one. Um, 
I find that that's kind of an interesting culture because I'm like, I, what I want those therapists to know is like, I don't want your clients. I really don't because they're not ready for me. <laughs> I don't want them. You can have them. So right. Like we're not competing. Yeah. That's, that's and, their, their deficit stuff. I mean, that's a, right? that, is a, that is a thing for a lot of therapists because they're competing. They are, it's a, it's a relatively saturated field. And unless you do a lot of work to learn how to, you know, market yourself or, and you're doing, per, I believe that the personal work is really what creates successful marketing in the first place, but. Right. Because individuation, not, you have to know who you are and what right. you offer. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate your passion about that. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's that's where, that's where the success comes from, but you still have to learn how to, how to do it. And so if you're not comfortable doing that stuff, you feel insecure about it, then you're going to feel like you're competing with other clinicians all the time or, yeah. or coaches. And that's, you know, it's their own deficit energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, the other thing was like, you know, from time to time, because, you know, I don't always put, I don't like put all my certifications like on my Instagram or what I do, like the work no, I do. I don't and, either. Right. I don't, I mean, I have some of it on my website, but I've, I've had posts that are, have been, I guess, triggering to some like therapists out there. And um, if they had read the whole post, it would have been really helpful because then we could have like avoided the whole thing, but whatever happened, they were off to the races writing paragraphs of stuff about how like I shouldn't, <laughs> like I have no right to be there talking about whatever. And it's like, how do, how do you get to decide if I have the right to speak about these things? Because you actually don't know what my training is, whether I'm, you know, like accredited or not, like you actually don't know what my own life experience, my own training. And also you didn't read the post. Like that's the most important thing. You didn't read what I said. But beyond that, it's, it's very interesting talking about the wounded healed energy dynamics and how there are people out there that are not like checking themselves that, that they're in a dysregulated state right. showing up on the internet. Like, and they're showing people, they're showing the world their state by how they're responding. And when I see that, I'm like, oh my, but of course, you know, I have my own reaction too, which is like growing up, it wasn't necessarily safe to be seen. So of course I have my own like nervous system response of like, oh no, I'm in big trouble now, right? But then I have uh, a solid group of coaches and practitioners and friends, therapists that I will just be like, hey, just to run everything by you, because I've done my research and, but I just want to make sure I'm not like spewing bullshit. And they're like, no, no, you're good. Like they, they'll double check it for me. But I was like, oh my God, you know, I just freak out. I have trouble like sleeping and stuff. Cause I'll, I'll be like a big scene of being attacked <laughs> after I like calm down, you know, calm down. I'm like, okay, I'm okay. It's just like their stuff and then my stuff and it's all okay. But when I'm responding, I do a really good, I, I really try to not respond from a place of dysregulation. Like for me, it's always really important that I co-regulate or I self-regulate before I'm getting on the internets and saying or doing anything because I don't wanna 
you know, walk around bleeding on everyone or, or barfing on everyone, you know? Angela. Chase. It's a callback, okay? <laughs> I used to do stand-up comedy. It's, it's, you know, it's humor. It's called callback. Yeah. Oh, I think it's hard. Like, Instagram is is tough. If you If you play small and don't say, you know, put the truth mm. out there, then... You're, what's the point of being on there but if you do and you share truths that people aren't ready to hear they're gonna have reactions you know so yeah but it's scary it is like i feel scared sometimes when people react and like I, I mean they don't know me i don't know them like i don't think they're gonna find me but it's still terrifying mm-hmm. um so i just i just delete those messages and block those people and report yeah. them usually report them to instagram like this person's <laughs> bullying me and then i move on with my life but i've definitely had those checks too or right. even there's been times where i felt so um like triggered that i've deleted posts because i'm like oh i don't want anybody to feel hurt by my post and sometimes mm-hmm. i'll write something and people will interpret it a certain way and that's absolutely not the way that i'm trying to get it across but it is possible to interpret it in a way that's going to make somebody feel triggered or hurt. And so mm-hmm. occasionally I do take stuff down for that purpose, but mm-hmm. it's so hard. Kim, it's so hard to navigate. Kim, have you ever considered that you're giving them a great gift by triggering them massively? <laughs> if it's that, if it's purely that they're being triggered because of their own stuff. <laughs> yes. I feel good about it. But fair if it's enough, like, you know, like sometimes you phrase things in a way where it could be interpreted in a hurtful manner. And, and in those instances, I'm like, okay, I could have, I could have phrased that differently. I don't, Yeah. my intention is not to hurt anybody. So let me move on from this one. Very compassionate and rational and logical. <laughs> I try. God, you're so well regulated. You should see me at home when like everything is happening with children and husbands and mm-hmm. like all the things. It's just, doesn't Ooh, husbands, look like this. plural. I want to oh, go. No, that. just just one. Oh, okay. Just the one. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you. So Kim, you're like I know you're a growth nerd. I know I can tell. So what what are some of the stuff you're nerding out on lately? What are you what are you listening to? What are you mm-hmm. reading? Um, what am I working on? I went to a Kundalini yoga class today. That was kind of pretty cool. Pretty fun. Um, I've never done that. I've been doing a lot of breath work and embodied embodied dance work for my own process lately. Yeah. I didn't really used to identify with breath work as much. But lately, it's been really powerful for me. Hmm. I worry about how breathwork impacts people's nervous systems sometimes. And so I get a little bit like, yeah, I'm like, you know, maybe you're just causing yourself to go into like hyperventilation. And that's why you're having like a somewhat psychedelic reaction to, you know, you're in the borderlands of freeze or something. Yeah, you're in a you're in a hyperactivated state in your body, and maybe you could be traumatizing. Like, I think they're safe containers, so ideally and usually people are fine. But it's never discussed that actually you're causing yourself to have an anxiety attack, and that's why you're having the 
mm-hmm. physiological reaction. So right. I think I pushed it away for a while, but um, recently I've been like really enjoying it. Mm. So. <laughs> it is true. You can get like tetany from uh, like breath work and stuff where your limbs get frozen like this. And if you don't know what's happening, it can be traumatizing where you're like, ah. <laughs> Yeah, I just worry about people that have had like really serious trauma that there's no disclaimers and people aren't necessarily Mm. trauma informed when they do breath work. Like the teachers aren't teaching breath work practitioners that what's happening in your nervous system and that Mm. if people have had a really significant trauma background that they could be bringing themselves into a a traumatic reaction in a situation like that. I mean, I've never seen it happen, but I'm always scared. I'm always scared that's going to happen in a group. Sure. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it's like, you know, if you go into a um, psychedelic experience with a certain mindset, you're going to have different reactions to it. So I feel like it's set up pretty well. When people go into breath work, they expect to heal and not have like some intense right. traumatic mm-hmm. reaction, but I still worry about it. Yeah, I, I'm a, I'm like such a huge proponent, like the world of, of the world being trauma informed, because I think it's just having that very base. I think it's just not just basic. It's like a foundational understanding totally of how the human body like that informs everything. To me, it's absolutely foundational. And I think anyone offering really any services that will. I think everyone just should because I agree. Yeah, everyone should. That would be great. But breath work. I like it right now. (laughs) I'm into it at the moment. (laughs) Yeah. You reading anything? Um I have my grandmother's hands. Um the yamas and the niyamas, I think that's how it's pronounced. Okay. It's a the ethics of yoga. Oh. A client of mine told me about it. And then Fire the Haters, which you guys might appreciate. It's all, it's Jillian Johnsrud, who's, um, she's a writer in the fire community. So financially, financial independence, retiring early. Um, she talks in that book a lot about um, what to do in when you're visible and how to handle mm. all the uh BS that comes at you. <laughs> the projections that come at you once you're visible. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Also a practice in nervous system regulation. Yeah. It's real. Yes. It's real. It is a huge practice in nervous system <laughs> regulation. But look at us. We're doing great. We're showing up. Um, <laughs> this will be published probably in a few weeks and we'll survive it. Yay. <laughs> This is a good practice, being visible. Yeah, I posted yeah. a podcast thing on my story for, for the first, for maybe the first or second time. And when I did it, hey, totally fine. Nick. And then maybe like 12 hours later or something, it was just like, <laughs> 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 I was just like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a funny uh, uh, somatic reaction that you the, the waves. <laughs> Yeah, I feel you. Uh, that's just pr- shit, shit I deal with on a regular basis. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we got anything else here? I feel like I feel like we we should let you go because you got stuff. 
I probably need to go help the children came inside. I think that's my uh, that's call for yes. <laughs> support. It's been pretty cool All to right. talk to you, Kim. It has I been really, really. Yeah, it's been time. It's been super fun. Yeah. I feel like it would be really fun to just have these conversations all the time. So thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, um, anything before you go that you want to share, like with the community, like um, we'll, we'll put your tags down in the comments at Brave Counseling at great at the Feminine Freedom Coach. Um, No, I mean, I think we talked we talked about some really cool topics and I guess like the big the big thing was to figure out what you need and I, I think we didn't say one thing I would have said that we didn't say is that it's really awesome to have a coach in conjunction with a therapist a lot of times because yeah. then you're yes. I've done that before and it's been so amazing I always at this point always have some sort of embodiment process, whether it's therapy or dancing or breathwork, some sort of more body-based, deeper process. And then I have a coach or multiple coaches. And I really love that combo because the coaching gives you like the information you need. And then the embodiment work really helps you move through. And sometimes you get lucky and have a coach that does both, which is awesome. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's true, like with my clients, I like usually do recommend coaching and therapy together because it's it's a nice sweet spot just to get that awesome. extra support. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because as you're moving through sometimes, it is going to bring up your stuff because you're coming up against your limits. And sometimes you'll have deeper pockets of stuff. Like it's not uncommon for a person to be in a good place, embark on coaching, realizing that they're tapping into like, some other stuff and like no shame absolutely and needing that additional support and sometimes you do and mm-hmm. it's really really good yeah yeah and I vote for somatic focused clinicians yeah. always like somatic yeah. experiencing sensory motor mm-hmm. ADP one of those mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah nice we like your recommendations Thanks. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. That was all that was in my head. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Anything okay. else, Nick? No, I think that was great. We did a good job, guys. We did. Yay. <laughs> all right. All right. Cool stuff. We'll see you next time. So emotional. Plus, Kim. Out. Oh.